I had charts and graphs everywhere. I was like, I've got this. I can write a blended family novel when I am done with this, like how to blend because I am that good at this. (laughs) You're listening to the Nacho Kids podcast, where we discuss all things step family related, real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. Well, person who I will not say your name, I think you should start the day off telling me hello. Hello, Lori. Hey, David. How you doing? I don't have a name. Oh. <laughs> hey, no name. How you doing? Uh, you've called me many names. I know. <laughs> Matter of fact, you called me one earlier. Back at you. <laughs> Uh, so, I have an announcement to make. Uh oh. Okay. So, we've had a number of people show their concern about the Facebook group for honestly for a while, <laughs> in many different reasons and things like that. So, we have launched something new to help those people who want to, shall we say, have a better experience communicating with other blended families. How's that? Sounds good. And so I want to announce officially that we have opened the Nacho Club. Dun, 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 dun. Yep. So if you head on over to nachokids.com and you click on the club at the top in the menu, it, it'll tell you about it and give you the information. If you want to sign up, then then go for it. And, uh, and what, what we're doing is we're basically making it a, a replacement for social media. A lot of people are wanting to get away from the noise and distractions of social media. There's people that are getting dinged all the time because they're putting something in there that some algorithm says that they're putting hate speech and bullying and all this other stuff just because they say something like, ooh, boys are gross. Well, that's hate speech. So it's it's just getting a little out, out of hand. And, and it threatens the group being shut down. Right. And that was my other point too, is that we get messages from Facebook, like this keeps happening in your group. We're going to shut the group down. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean. And then the (laughs) funny thing is they will remove content and say it was against their community standards. Mm -hmm. And you go to view what the content was. Oh, we can't show you. (laughs) So none of us know really what's taken down and why. Yeah. So there, it's just problematic and it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I even got in trouble, (laughs) y'all. That's, it that's bothered me believable. too. <laughs> and all I did was comment back to a lady. She said, I feel like I'm a such and such. And I said, well, maybe you wouldn't feel like you're a such and such. And they didn't like that. Yeah. You were being a booty. I was being a bully. That's what it said. <laughs> so anyway, we're still going to have the Facebook group because some people are, you know, they're not going to leave it and, and we're not forcing people to leave the group. So the Facebook group's going to stay there, but there's a number of people a large number of people who don't want that to be the place they go. Reasons being. Oh, gosh. (laughs) I'm going to run through them really quickly. Okay. Privacy is an issue with Facebook. Oh, my gosh. Is privacy an issue? No anonymity. Nope. Because because everybody knows who you are, you can't hide from it. So if you post something and somebody else decides they want to screenshot it and then you know, look up all of your family members or friends or, or where you work or anything else. A lot of the information is available. Well, and that's why we tell people to lock down their Facebook pages, but a lot of people don't pay attention to what we say. Right. But David, you're messing me up because that was one on my list. Oh, okay. Keep going. Okay. Your data is being tracked and sold in Facebook. Mm-hmm. You are bombarded with ads or other distractions. Mm-hmm. 
full of trolls and troublemakers. Mm-hmm. Facebook controls what you see. Mm-hmm. See, that's something that annoys me. I will pin a post to the top because I want everybody to see it. Whether it's the rules or like the announcement of this, it doesn't matter if it's pinned to the top. Facebook decides if they're going to show it to you or not. <laughs> Easy to miss posts. Oh, gosh, yeah. People can go real life, which David already said. You have to follow the Facebook rules, which change often and without any guidance. Mm-hmm. Crappy search functionality. Yeah. <laughs> David put crappy. Building on rented property. Yeah. And so what that means is anytime you've got something online and, you know, especially if you're a business, if you're building it on somebody else's property or uh, they control it, then it's a risk. If you're building your business on Facebook or Instagram or you know, even if you've got a website and it's on one of these free hosting platforms, then they control that. And if they decide to shut down or they have other issues or whatever they want to do, you know, you're building your house on rented land. And they don't care that we've been building this group for three years. No. And I personally know people who have lost their businesses because Facebook has shut down their group or they changed some kind of algorithm and then people couldn't find the group anymore. Or their business page was hacked. Yeah. I mean, just tons and tons of problems. Difficult to keep track of topics. Oh, yes. Good grief. Because, you know, the last thing that's commented on usually what bumps it to the top. Mm -hmm. You can attract the wrong people. Oh, yeah. What do you mean by that, David? Because you're in in Facebook and so it's searchable. You know, if people come into the Nacho Club, they're coming to the Nacho Club. If they're on Facebook and they stumble across you, I mean, that's good and bad. (laughs) Those are the people that join and after six months go, what does Nacho mean? (laughs) And I say, let me take a Xanax and get back to you. I'm kidding. I mean, it's just, it's more purpose driven when people come to you specifically. They're, you know, it's, I guess, kind of the difference between a mall, you know, where you walk in a mall and you see a store, you don't know what kind of riffraff is going to walk in. (laughs) (laughs) David, please don't call our Facebook members (laughs) riffraff. Didn't say that. <laughs> I said Facebook is full of riffraff. <laughs> uh, but I mean, we we do a good job. I say we, you and your moderators do a good job of trying to weed out people that shouldn't be in there. But there's no way to do it well no, no. because it takes a lot of time and energy. And on top of that, the moderation, which I remember one time somebody posted like uh, something like, well, you and your moderators should be doing such and such. And I'm like, okay. Um, I mean, this is a free group. You can leave. (laughs) Well, and I don't think that people realize that the moderators do this out of the kindness of their heart. Yeah. We do this out of the kindness of our heart. We don't get any money from Facebook by moderating this group or having this group. No. And you're, I mean, you're only promoting Facebook at at the end of the day. And that's, you got what, 14,000 people in that group that you have to moderate? It's impossible. 14, seven, something like that. As of this recording. Okay. What else? You must have a personal profile, which we've already talked about. Yep. So needless to say, we talked about this a while back. I actually put a post in the Facebook group and it went crazy. If you go to such and such platform, we're leaving. Yeah. Yeah. We are not. It went off. It went off the chain. We're not leaving Facebook. We're not running to a different platform like some people were doing during the, you know, the the rush to leave Facebook because of political reasons and all that. It has nothing to do with any of that. Right. It has to do because Lori got dinged. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, it's just, it's just not, it's just not a good platform for groups. And in, in fact, Facebook actually hasn't that long really been focusing on growing the groups functionality. 
They are doing so now, though. I'm a member of some kind of leadership right. thing. And, yeah. Right. yeah, that's my point is that it's, you know, the Facebook groups thing is not something that they've focused on, but they, they're realizing that it drives engagement and they get more people in there that they can track their information. Because trust me, Facebook is gathering everything you do and click on and look at and all that information gets sold. Mm -hmm. I still think it's funny that you can talk about something like mm -hmm. not look it up on your phone, not look it up on your computer, talk about it with your significant other or the neighbor, whatever. The next thing you know, you've got Facebook ads of that same thing. That's mm -hmm. well, probably because you got the Facebook app on your phone. Yes. That's a whole nother topic. Let's not get yeah. there, David. So anyway, you want to talk about the good things about the Nacho Club? The opposite of the bad stuff. Yeah, pretty much. So 100% privacy. Yeah, we and when we say 100% privacy. We don't even know who you are. Yeah. Yeah, so if you sign up as Little Johnny, that's all we know is you, Little Johnny. That's right. <laughs> Complete anonymity, no fear of negative consequences. Yeah, and what and what I mean by that is like what's happening in Facebook now where people say something like boys are gross and they're getting deemed by Facebook saying it's hate speech. And putting I mean, Facebook jail for however long. Yeah. Your data is not collected, tracked, or sold. Nope. Distraction-free user experience. Yes. Purpose-driven community. Mm-hmm. Weed out the bad apples. That's right. Easy to see what you've missed. Yep. Ability to have clubs for specific interests or locations. All right. So I want to talk about this club thing. You scaring me, David. You jumped on that. I know because it's it's this is awesome. Okay. 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 All right. Before I dive into that, let me say something else. When I said it's easy to see what you missed, there's a function in the club where you click on um, I don't even remember what it's called. Unread, unread content. Yeah, unread content. You click on unread content, it shows you exactly what you're not read yet. So there's no way to miss stuff. Okay, clubs. <laughs> I'm excited about clubs because even though it's called the Nacho Club, members can create their own clubs within the Nacho Club. What? So if you want to go in there and say, I'm going to create a club within the Nacho Club that's specifically for stepdads or specifically for stepmoms that don't have bio kids. Or stepmoms that like painting granny ceramics. Right. I mean, any of those things. You can start your own club that you moderate and everything right within the Nacho Club. I think that's going to be an amazing tool because how often do you see in the Facebook group where people are saying, how many other people here are fill in the blank? They're trying to find those people that have the same or similar family structure that they do. I mean, it could even be things like how many stepmoms are here from Australia. Right. You know? So you can start a group, stepmom from Australia mm -hmm. or a group, a club. So um, anyway, I think that's going to be a, a big plus for people to to do that. And you can do it by, you know, whatever, whatever dynamic you want. If you want it to be people in a geographic area or whatever you want to do, it's, it's completely open. Okay, great. <laughs> Exclusive offers and promos. Yeah. So from time to time. You know, we're going to have things that that we can offer. It may come from us. It may come from some affiliates that uh, that we have and we that we talk to from time to time. But we're going to start offering those things uh, through the club. So if you remember the club, you'll get it there. We're not going to offer it in the Facebook group. User reputation scores to ensure quality replies. Oh, okay, I like this one too. So have you ever been in the Facebook group and you know you don't? If somebody re replies to something, you're like. Well, that was not necessary, you know, not, not helpful. You know, they were being mean or whatever. There's nothing that really keeps people in check other than 
other people potentially fussing at them. Or breaking a Facebook rule. Yeah. But within the club, there's going to be reputation scores. And so uh, when you get things like thumbs up and stuff like that, you get positive reputation scores. And then when you get thumbs down or, or whatever, then you'll get negative reputation scores. And so you will be able to see on people's profiles what their reputation score is. And you'll you'll know whether or not there's somebody that's worthwhile listening to or not. But the other thing that's more important is I think it's going to be a good way for people to kind of keep their self in check because hopefully they're not going to want to get negative reputation scores. And we'll probably have it set to where if you get a certain amount of negative reputation scores, it's probably going to cause us to have to have a conversation with you or, or remove you from the club because we really don't want toxic people in the club. We want it to be a supportive community of blended families. Okay. Advanced content controls to protect users. Yep. So we just have the ability to do things we can't do in Facebook group. All right, David, that's enough of that. I know. All right, let's get on to who we're interviewing. (laughs) That took a long time. I thought this was going to be like a two-minute thing, and then you went down this whole path of talking about it. Well, you wanted to talk about the good points. Okay. All right. Anyway, go to nachokids.com, click on the club. Or you can go directly to nachokids.com slash the dash nacho dash club. <laughs> yeah, you can do it that way too. You have right. options, people. Yep. Okay. Okay. All right. Apologize for the taking so long. All right. Well, quit talking about it. We'll go. <laughs> <laughs> Who we got? We've got some disclaimers with this podcast. Oh, goodness. First of all, there is a chirping noise during this recording. I believe her battery in one of her smoke detectors or carbon monoxide detectors or, or carbon monoxide detectors is going off, but she couldn't hear it or didn't know where it was from. Okay. So I apologize. I removed every chirp that I could without <laughs> it affecting the words she was saying. I know what it's coming from because we had the exact same smoke detector. And but she it, says she couldn't hear it. Uh, well, I know because remember ours beat for so long. It's because the batteries are going low and it beat for months. And initially, it would aggravate us. And after a while, we're like, we don't hear that anymore. <laughs> well, I, it never fails. Hours die in the middle of the night, though. Yeah. You go to sleep and you hear, beep, chirp. Yeah, it was a chirp. Chirp. And <laughs> it was coming from upstairs. Like, we couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Yeah, which one? Okay. So, I apologize for that. Hopefully, it won't annoy you since I brought it to your attention. <laughs> this is a very sensitive podcast. It discusses inappropriate sexual behavior between a bio kid and a step kid. Mm. So that's my disclaimer. Okay. And since we took so long to talk about the Nacho Club, I'm not going to go any further into detail about what we talk about. All right. Just have to listen. Yeah. All right. I apologize for taking so much Stop your time. apologizing. You're taking more time. All right. Okay. Here we go. You ready? Finally. Right. Okay. Let's listen to the interview. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle stepfamily challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit nachokidsacademy.com and sign up today to join other step parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's nachokidsacademy.com. Today, we have stepmom Jane. Hey, Jane, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Lori? Doing well. So, Jane, how long have you been blending, and how many stepkids and bio kids do you have? 
Well, me and my husband have been married for three years, and we've been blending for almost five. I have three bio kids, 15-year-old son, a 13-year-old son, and a 12-year-old daughter. And I have three stepchildren, a 14-year-old stepdaughter, a 12-year-old stepson, and a nine-year-old stepson. So six altogether, and all six live with us full-time. You have four boys and two girls. Four boys and two girls, yes. So not quite the Brady Bunch, but almost there. Yeah, and they're all very close in age, too. Yes, they are. It goes mine, his, mine, his, mine, his. So I have a 15-year-old. Well, he just turned 16. 16-year-old, he has a 14-year-old. I have a 13-year-old. He has a 12-year-old. I have a 12-year-old. He has a 9-year-old. So we have two that are the same age and the same grade at the same school. So that's super fun, too. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) It sounds like a lot of fun. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, you and I were talking before we started recording about how when you and your ex-husband split up, you felt like you were a high-conflict bio-mom. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. It was not an amicable breakup. My ex-husband had an affair, and he left me for his much younger mistress. And I wanted him to feel the pain that he caused me. And the only way that I could do that was through our children. So I wanted our children to hate his significant other, now his wife. I wanted them to pick me always. So I really hurt the relationship that they could have had with their stepmom. And I hurt the relationship that they they had with their dad. I was absolutely the high conflict bio mom. I was constantly texting him, you know, telling him that he's hurting his kids. I was constantly, I would say harassing them. I even wanted to ruin their wedding day because that's how angry and spiteful I was. And it took many, many years for me to realize that the only people that I was hurting were my children. I was not getting back at him. I was not getting back at her. I was hurting my children. And they actually have been together and married for over 10 years, and she is expecting their third child. And I want them to have a relationship with their with their siblings, and I want them to have a relationship with their stepmom. And I'm worried that I damaged that for my older boys. My youngest daughter, she has a relationship with, with stepmom, but my two, my two boys, they kind of don't. And that's, that's absolutely 100% my fault. Well, you know, it's so hard to look back on things and it's so easy to blame ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Even if you would have not been a high conflict by a mom, they still might not would have had a relationship with her. That's true, but I did not help. Right. Yeah. I made it something something ugly, you know, mm-hmm. I really did. Mm-hmm. And now dealing with a high conflict bio mom in my second marriage, I'm like, oh man, I am got to apologize to that poor stepmom. You know, <laughs> I made her life hell and now I'm going through the same thing. Well, not the same thing, but you know what I mean. Right. It gives me a whole new perspective. Yeah. But your kids were really young. Yes. Um, my my daughter was six months old when my ex-husband left me and he didn't see them for two years. He um, he followed his, his significant other. I'm going to try not to call her the mistress, but he followed her to college and he didn't see his kids for two years. It was really hard for me. Wow. And hard for them. Oh, definitely. 
So he missed out on all, all of our daughters first, you know, her first word, her first steps, mm-hmm. her first everything. And he missed out on so many things for our sons that they still remember. My oldest son still remembers how many birthdays his dad forgot about and how many Christmases he forgot about. And I remember my daughter getting dressed up in her fanciest dress and waiting for her dad to pick her up and he wouldn't come. That is heartbreaking. It is. And I feel like if maybe I hadn't have been so high conflict, maybe he wouldn't have been so afraid to come around. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, maybe I caused some of that. And um, I just wish for any, any moms out there to realize that when you're high conflict, it's just hurting your children. Right. It's the only people that it hurts is your children. I think that I was a high conflict by a mom. And a lot of that was because my son was so little. He was a baby. And I wanted to make sure he was taken care of, and I didn't trust his dad to do so. I understand. I was worried too. I was, uh, I would number the diapers. I don't know. I would like put little tiny numbers on the diapers when I would give him our kids just to see how many times he changed her. Girl, I didn't even think about that. That's genius. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was that. I was, I was pretty bad. I was pretty bad. (laughs) I wasn't that bad. I, I I was pretty bad and and I, and I didn't do it because I was worried that my daughter wouldn't be taken care of. I did it because if I saw that there was a number, he didn't use enough diapers and I could I had something to say to him negative. Oh. And it was all just because I was so hurt that I wanted to always hurt him too. Right. I was very high conflict, you know, and I wish I knew then what I know now. Yeah. No, oh, don't we all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think more of my high conflictness came from, like I said, he was just a baby and he was my first baby and I was just concerned about him and wanted to make sure that he was eating enough. And if you gave him any Tylenol, I need to know kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But too often we see where the hurt or the hate towards the ex overrides the love for our children. Yes, absolutely. 100%. It does. There was a point that I feel like I did hate him more than I loved them. And that's, that is never okay. No, it's not. And you can't take it back. You know, that happened and it caused lasting trauma to my children. And I'm fortunate enough that, you know, my faith guided me. I went to, um, I went and spoke with my priest and he pointed out to me that I was not helping my children. I was, um, pushing myself away from my faith, away from my relationship with Christ. And because I'm pushing myself away, I'm also pushing my children away from a relationship with Christ. And he's like, you need to focus on yourself. You need to focus on your children. You need to focus on your faith. And so I took his advice and I did. And that's why I stayed single for seven and a half years. After my husband, my ex-husband left me, I stayed single for seven and a half years. And focus solely on my children and myself, put myself through college, worked on my relationship with my kids, worked on my relationship with Christ, worked on my relationship with myself Mm -hmm. before I, before I started dating at all. Well, you needed that. You needed to heal. I did. I was very hurt. I was, um, I was in a very dark place for, for many years. I was terrified to get hurt like that again. If you wouldn't have taken that break, you would have carried that baggage straight into your next relationship. Absolutely. And because I took that break, I I feel like I healed enough to allow someone to love me again. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And for you to love again and trust again. Yes. So you met your now husband. I did. And he had all these youngins. 
Yep. And I thought, okay, great. So he knows what it means to be a full-time parent. He knows what it means to be a single parent because he had custody of his kids. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. You know, they're all close in age. We're going to get along so great. And, And sometimes we did. Sometimes it was perfect. I would say four out of the six kids blended really, really well at any given time. Our two oldest, they just, I couldn't get them to get along. It was always a competition with them, my son and his daughter. And they're a little over a year apart, my son being a little over a year older than her. And everything was a competition. Everything. How fast they could eat, how slow they could eat. If we went to the beach, who could build a better sandcastle? Who could swim faster? Who could swim underwater longer? If, you know, we were drawing or painting, it was who could paint better, who could draw better. If we were who was smarter who was faster who was it was always a competition absolutely everything and I didn't realize at the time but they really were just competing for attention they were competing for their biological parents attention they were competing for their their new step parents attention they were they were just feeling vulnerable because everything was changing and they were they were the oldest. My son was the oldest, so he felt very protective of me, very protective of his younger siblings. My stepdaughter was the oldest, so she felt like she had to make sure that she approved of whoever her dad was going to be with, and she had to protect her two younger siblings. And it just caused a lot of tension between the two of them. Now, you were dealing with a high-conflict bio mom as well. Yes, my husband's ex-wife, she she is mentally unstable. Um, she was institutionalized when their youngest was two. And then she was institutionalized again after shortly after me and my husband started dating. And that's kind of what started me stepping up really inappropriately, I would say, because I started doing everything. So he didn't have anybody to watch the kids because she would come to the house every day and she would watch the kids while my husband went to work. And, you know, if they were in school, she would come over in the morning and she would get them off to school and then she would come over in the afternoon and she would get them off the bus. And then when my husband got home, she would go to her little apartment and the next day would repeat. So when she was had a nervous breakdown and was institutionalized, he fell apart. He was like, what am I going to do? I don't have anybody to watch the kids. And I was like, ooh, pick me, pick me. I'll do it. <laughs> you know, I yeah. was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And so I really stepped in there and I was like oh my gosh these kids I'm gonna take them to the zoo and I'm gonna take them to the park I'm gonna take them to the beach because their mom never did any of those things with them she she has um debilitating anxiety and it really caused her to kind of shelter the children and shelter herself from the world with her children Mm -hmm. so she didn't she didn't take them to the stores or to restaurants or to any kind of public places because she was afraid of their behavior. She was afraid of losing one of them or one of them getting hurt. So she never really was able to do those things with them. She can't handle standing in lines or being in a a busy bustling area. So she avoided all of those things with her children. So her children didn't really know how to behave in public or what to expect or 
what the expectations were for their behavior. Because if you don't teach children that, they're not going to learn it. You, you don't just automatically know how to behave in a restaurant or automatically know how to stand still and be patient in a line. Mm-hmm. That's something that your parents teach you at a really formidable age. And because they weren't taught that, oh my goodness, were these children hard to control? And I was like, I can handle this. I'm I'm super mom. You know, I've got three <laughs> kids myself and I have been single for seven and a half years and I take my kids everywhere, take them to amusement parks and to water parks and you know, take them to the college campus with me. I can handle this. Oh, I got this. And for a while I did. For a while I felt like, you know, look at me patting myself on the back. I'm so awesome. And then my world crumbled and I did not know how to pick up the pieces. Now, she used to overstep as far as coming to the house and almost still making claims to the house. And Oh, yes, absolutely. So after she was released from the hospital, she decided like, okay, I'm going to step up and be mom again. And she would come to the house and she would bring her laundry and she would bring her dirty dishes and use the dishwasher <laughs> and she wouldn't ever knock And she would, even when the kids were in school, she'd be like, oh, I'm going to go to the house and do my laundry and play with the dog and snuggle up on the couch and watch my favorite shows that I DVR'd or whatever. Um, She would use the kitchen to cook. I remember when I had started moving in with my children, I remember she came to the house and she was like, maybe we should go over the kitchen together. That way we know where all the utensils are. And I was thinking to myself... (laughs) excuse you? Like, what? I'm not going to plan where my kitchen utensils go with my husband's ex-wife. It was, yeah, it was bizarre. Maybe let's go through the layout of the house. Let me show you the door. I know, right? It was, it was pretty bad. She used the house as her own personal storage because she had moved out of the house and into like this tiny little basement apartment with her girlfriend. So all of her stuff was still here. And when I moved in with my children, not only did we have to build three additional rooms and an additional um, rec area for the kids, but I had to clean out all of her things. And so I'm cleaning out personal letters and personal lingerie, and I am cleaning out her makeup from the bathroom drawers, and I am taking down pictures off the walls, and I am, it was, it was very traumatic for me. And I didn't realize it at the time, how much resentment that would really cause um, between me and my husband. It was, I do not suggest that for anybody who's trying to start a new relationship, especially a blended relationship, it is not a good way to start. Right. And I did not know that getting into it. I just was trying to start my life with him, but I, there's still things in the house that are hers and it still bothers me almost five years later. And yesterday I got a new toaster. I finally was like, okay, I'm taking out the ex-wife toaster and I'm getting myself my toaster. Mm -hmm. So when the toaster came and I unpacked it and I had the big old smile on my face, my husband's like, oh, so out goes the cursed toaster. And I was like, that's right. Out goes the cursed toaster. So now <laughs> everything, everything that was hers, I call cursed now. Um, just to my husband. I would never say that to my to my stepchildren. Right. It's been it's been a journey. It's been very, very tough. And she had um, written me a letter um that, and I'm sure it's comes from a place of her mental illness, but she she wrote me a letter that literally gave me permission to be with her husband and gave me permission to be in the house. That was nice of her. Wasn't it though? Yeah. 
I remember reading that letter and just thinking, what have I gotten myself into? What did I do? <laughs> Who did I fall in love with here? <laughs> you know, because she's an extension of him. He can't get rid of her. That's the mother of his children. She's always going to be here. So, yay me. <laughs> yeah, it's just to the extent that you're comfortable of her being there is the question. Yes, and I'm very, very happy that last summer my husband finally told her, "You are not welcome in this house anymore." And so now when she picks up the kids she, a couple days a week, she pulls up and she honks and she does not come into the house anymore. So she didn't get a lot of pushback with that? No, no. Good. Yep. That's really good. It's new now, you know, and uh, I know that she doesn't like it. She calls it a form of abuse on my part that she's not allowed to come into the home that her children live in. She says that I am abusive and controlling and that I am brainwashing my husband and her children. So, and I'm trying to nacho that as much as I can. I think that nacho and the bio mom is almost as important or in my case, more important than nachoing my stepchildren. Yes, because she is toxic. She is very toxic. And my husband knows that almost more than me. Whenever his phone dings, I'm worried that it's her. And not just worried that it's her, but worried that she's saying something negative about me or about my children. Because she is. She's she's nasty when it comes to me and my children. Mm -hmm. But we also know that... You thinking that when your husband's phone dings and it's a message from her, we also know that that is her having too much control over you. Yes, I am trying to learn that. And I am trying to listen to my husband more when he says, you don't need to worry about it. Because at first it was like, yes, I do. I need to know what I need to know what she's saying about me. I need to know right now. What is she saying about me? What is she saying about my kids? Thinking that knowing would help me, but knowing did not help me. It only took my joy and took my peace, and it was not good for me. Well, and we know a lot of times we see this in the academy, we see this in the Facebook groups where the stepmom is like, he's not standing up to her for me. She'll say something bad about me, and he doesn't even stand up for me. Well, here's the thing about that. They know their ex better than you do. They know that most of the time, if she knows it's bothering you, she's going to keep doing it. Right. And they also know that it's just not worth the fight sometimes. They're not letting what she says about you influence them. They read it and it's like, well, that's a bunch of crap. <laughs> but if you read it, it's going to hurt you. And you'll hold on to that because, let's face it, nobody wants somebody else talking crap about them. Correct. But like you said, what good did it do or does it do for you to know those things? Is it because... You feel like if you know, then something's not being kept from you? I think more for me, it was, I was worried that he would start believing the things that she said too, because I don't have very high self-worth. That's something else that I'm working on right now. And so I was always afraid that he was going to just start believing all these things that she was saying about me. And I was afraid that I would have another loss, that I would have to suffer losing a husband all over again. And that I, he wouldn't pick me. I think that's something that I struggle with a lot. You know, I just want, I want someone to pick me, choose me first, because I didn't feel that way in my first marriage. 
And so now I'm so afraid. They had 13 years together before me, and they have three children together before me and built this house together before me. And I'm always afraid, is he going to still pick me? And I felt like I needed to defend myself. Every time she said something nasty about me or nasty about my children, I needed to defend myself and I need to defend my children mm-hmm. and be like, see, see, those are, that's not true. That's not true. And I'm coming to realize that I don't need to defend myself. My husband knows who I am and he knows my worth better than I know my own. And I just have to trust in that. You know, we were talking about earlier, you needing those years to heal to where you didn't carry that baggage into this relationship. Even though you took those seven years to heal, I don't think we ever truly get rid of the baggage. We don't. And do we and do we really want to either? It's it's who we are. Right. That's what made you you. Right. Your ex cheating on you made you a stronger person. It did. And it made me also more compassionate Mm -hmm. because I know what betrayal feels like. And I know it sounds silly, but I, I felt like the betrayal from my husband helped me have a closer relationship with Christ, understanding the betrayal that he suffered with Judas. And I don't know if I know that not all of your followers are, are very faith bound, or I can't say that they are, they aren't, but that's where that comes from for me. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. You said that you don't have high self-worth for yourself. I don't. Is that because your first husband cheated on you? I think so. I think that's partly it. And it's partly just who I am, too. I always see value in everybody else around me, but I never really look at myself. Hmm. Do you remember being that way before you were married to him or before you even knew him as a child? Did you always tend to see value in others, but just felt like you fell behind? Um, I think so. I think it kind of comes with being a middle child a little bit. I always felt a little bit invisible. And I also just always wanted to, I, I guess my, my mother tells me I'm too humble for, for my own good. Um, but in, that's why I was so drawn to my faith. And I never wanted to, I don't know, really stand out, I guess. And that's why when I met my husband and he needed help with his kids. I was like, now is my time to shine. Mm-hmm. I can strap on my super mom cape and for once I can be the hero. And I really prided myself in that. And I never really prided myself in anything before. I was always proud of the mom that I was and the, the faith that I taught my children. But I really prided myself in helping my husband and his children. And so when everything fell apart in our family, that really hurt me even more because I did have so much pride in that blend that I thought I had created and realizing that that's that it wasn't the perfect blend that I thought it was hurt even more. Mm -hmm. I do think being a middle child may have something to do with that because you're not the firstborn, you know, oh, our first baby and you're not the last because the baby's always the baby. Right. So that may have started something with you feeling that way and then your ex cheating on you just made it worse probably but i want you to look at yourself in the mirror every day and be like i am awesome i am the best mom girl toot your own horn (laughs) tell yourself these things because it's like we've talked about before we tell ourselves negative things all the time yeah so stand in that mirror i don't care how silly you feel say i am loved 
I am blessed, I am favored, I am an awesome mom, and I am valued. Because you are. I will try. Thank you. Do that every day. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to message you every day be like, did you do it? Did you do it? <laughs> the kids might think I'm crazy. <laughs> well, the thing is, is because you don't feel that valuing yourself, it makes it where you are worried about what your husband's going to think when by a mom says something bad about you. Because you're afraid that he's going to not see that value in you. And honey, I'm not saying by any means that I've always valued myself or that I don't have days that I just feel like, well, but you are an awesome mom. You put yourself through school. You raise those kids. You focused on your relationship with them and with God. And then you got remarried and you became super stepmom until some things happened. Yes. That were out of your control. Yes. Absolutely. So let's share what happened when everything fell apart. What caused everything to fall apart? Well, I, um, as I had said before, I put everything into the blend. I mean, and when I say everything, I mean everything. I, even though I had just graduated college after many years of, of struggling with, with school, with, with being a single mom and three kids, I didn't follow my career. I was I was like, nope, I can't. We're blending. The kids need me full time. So I tell you, we had family meetings around the kitchen table twice every week. I looked up and researched blending and bonding activities that we could do together to try to strengthen our family. I did everything. I did my homework and I followed through and I had charts and graphs everywhere. I was like, I've got this. I can write a blended family novel when I am done with this, like how to blend because I am that good at this. (laughs) And so see, you felt valued then. I did. I did. And then I didn't because I was wrong. I, um, I overstepped my bounds a little bit, I think, and I, I got ahead of myself. I really pushed my my oldest son and my oldest stepdaughter. I really pushed them to have a relationship because, as I said before, they were so competitive. They weren't getting along. My son was 12 when we moved here, and my stepdaughter was 11. And I was like, you guys have so much more in common than you realize. And I was really close to my older brother. So I wanted them to kind of share that relationship like I had with my older brother. And I I pushed them into that. And I shouldn't have. I should have read their cues better and stopped trying to force them to have a relationship with each other. Because I forced them to have a relationship with each other and the relationship turned inappropriate. So two years later, I noticed that they were getting along really well. And I was patting myself on the back. Look at all my hard work. Oh, yes. You go, girl. <laughs> and um, I was like, they're getting along. They're like best friends. They're hanging out in each other's rooms, always with the door open. But they're hanging out in each other's rooms. And they're going for walks together. And yay me. Look what I did. And my husband actually said to me, I'm kind of worried about their relationship. He's like, I, I kind of feel like something inappropriate might be going on. And I was so offended. I was like, what are you, what do you mean? I was like, I was close to my brother. I would snuggle with my brother when we watched movies and there was nothing inappropriate about that kind of relationship with a brother and a sister. 
And he had only ever had a brother. So he trusted me. He's like, okay, well, if you say that's how brothers and sisters act sometimes, okay, I trust you. And I should have listened to him more because over the summer after COVID had happened and the kids were all stuck in the house together for months on end, not going to school, not seeing their friends, nothing, no activities. My stepdaughter was having Zoom sessions with her therapist because she was seeing a therapist because poor little thing has super anxiety. Um, like her mom and she has perception problems and she's very high, highly dramatic. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get her into therapy to work out some of this trauma from her, from her biological mom and their relationship and pat myself on my back again. Okay. I'm going to get her into therapy and we're going to get like a, you know, something good going for her. And I remember I got a phone call from the therapist and she said, can we all meet outside? And I was like, who's we? And she's like, you and your husband and your stepdaughter and bio mom. We all need to sit down and we need to talk. We need to have a powwow. I'm like, oh, geez, what could this possibly be about? I was so worried, but never did I think I would hear what I heard during that powwow. So we're all sitting outside in a circle and the therapist starts off with, I just need you guys to know that your stepdaughter is not to blame and that she is the victim. And I was like, oh my goodness, you know, who, who abused her, who hurt her? And then she said, okay, do you want to share with stepmom and dad and mom what happened to you several, several months ago? And she said, well, your son, my, my son, my, you know, my stepdaughter, my stepbrother, he touched me sexually. And I was like shocked. I was completely shocked. I was like, my son did what? He, he what? And the therapist was like, well, you know, yes, he, he abused, he sexually abused your stepdaughter. And I, I think I was in a, another place at that moment because I just, I couldn't understand. I couldn't comprehend what was actually being said to me at that moment. And um, you were in shock. Yeah, I was absolutely in shock. And my stepdaughter started to say like, well, you know, it, it was both of us. You know, I, I wanted him to touch me and, and, and I touched him too. And, and the therapist stopped her and she said, no, no, no. Remember, he is bigger, he is older, and he is male. So he is wrong and you are the victim. Literally said those words to her. And I now realize that she was coaching her. But at that moment, I was just in shock. I had no idea. And so there was a lot of tears and I apologized. And I, she's like, we had to call, we already called DCF, which I understood. I'm like, okay, you know, I understand. Of course you need to get the authorities involved. There's been an abuse. And I went into the house and I grabbed my son and I took him to his dad's. And I was just so hurt and so livid. I was like, how could you? How could you touch her inappropriately? What did you do? What did you do? And he was in shock too. And he was crying. And, and, and it was several days until I could even look at him. And he kept calling me, mama, please, can you just listen to what happened? Can you just listen? I was like, no, I can't listen to what you have to say because you abused your stepsister. You touched her inappropriately. And how could you? And how could you? And I never let him get another word in. And a lot of that's because of how the therapist responded to the situation. Absolutely. So immediately, my stepdaughter was a victim. And immediately, my son was a predator. And I believed it. I believed it. For almost a week, Lori, I believed that. And finally, I, um, I, told, I called my son and I said, you're going to therapy and 
I want you to write a journal right now. You need to get out a journal and you need to write down what happened right now. And he's like, okay, mom. Okay. And I picked him up for his first therapy appointment. And it was almost, it was like probably four days, five days after the powwow. And I was like, let me see the journal. And I read the journal and I just cried because I never listened to my son, never listened to him for four days. I didn't listen to him and he was trying so hard to tell me. And it turns out that he didn't sexually abuse her, that the behavior, you know, although he did initiate um, the first touch. She had initiated the flirtatious behavior and that flirtatious behavior led to the touch, which was inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I make him take full accountability for that. And he understands choices have serious consequences, but he did not sexually abuse her. He did not pin her down. He did not make her do anything that I was thinking in my head. And um, yeah, because you're honest to God thinking he raped your stepdaughter. That's what I was thinking. And it never had, you know, thank the Lord, it never got that far. It was, you know, it, it was, uh, it stopped it touching. But I was, in my mind, I was picturing him, you know, holding her down and touching her. And that, that did not happen. And because my reaction was as such in the beginning, my stepdaughter believed herself to be the victim mm -hmm. and she still believes herself to be the victim. And I am so angry and resentful that she was never held accountable for her behavior as well. Only my son was held accountable and he was out of our home for four months and he went through an investigation. The entire family went through an investigation. And even the investigation said there is no sexual abuse here. There is inappropriate behavior between teenagers. There is some, you know, neglect, some neglect trauma from for both of the kids suffered from their biological parents. And there's there's some questionable things there. There's six kids. There's only one adult at the house most of the time, which is me. And there's not enough support for that one adult. So I put in cameras and monitors and um, when he was able to come home and still my stepdaughter still believes that she is a victim. And when he came home, the night that he came home, she said to me, do I get a condolence cake? And I just remember just thinking to myself, oh, Lord, this girl, she needs some, she needs some help. And I hope that my husband helps her with this. She does need help. And the reason I'm saying this is because she could end up in a situation later to where she cries victim when she wasn't a victim. And this could ruin somebody's life. That's what I'm worried about. And I and I'm also worried for her because when you perceive yourself as a victim that also inhibits growth growth for her right and inhibits you know relationships in the future for her so and it was it was really bad it, it has broken our relationship I was always very close to my stepdaughter at one point she had wanted me to adopt her and be her mom and and now it's it is very 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 strained I would say we don't have a relationship right now. And and it all was because when my son left, she had asked me to take down all the pictures of him in the house. She asked me to pack up his room. And I was like, I I'm not going to pack up his room. That's that's my son still. And I want him to come home. And she's like, well, he's had you for, for, for 14 years. It's my turn now. And I was like, this poor child, this poor child, she just wants attention and love so much. Mm -hmm. That she is willing to, she's willing to sacrifice somebody else's relationship or hurt somebody else's relationship 
in order to get that love and attention that she needs, that she was lacking. You know, that's not the first time that we've heard that a stepkid say that to the stepmom. Really? Mm-hmm. So when you say that, it didn't really shock me because I have heard it before. And it is mainly, it seems, because they lacked that relationship with their own bio mom. Yes, I, I truly yes. believe that. So she sees how supportive you are of your son, how loving you are with your kids, and she didn't have that. I know. But I want to go back to the condolence cake thing, because that puts this into perspective. And the reason I say that is, you know, David's kids were telling everybody, like, I abused them, mean to them, and, oh, life was horrible, right? But when asked by the therapist, what can Lori do to improve your relationship with her? Their response was, take us to Disney. (laughs) Of course it was. (laughs) Yeah. So you want this woman that quote, quote, abuses you to take you to Disney. Yeah. And that will make things better. That'll make it all better. Yeah. So when David heard that, it put things into a different perspective for him. He's like, whoa, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, granted, the kids were, I don't know what age, 11, 11, 11, and 12 at that time. And it could have been one of them said it and the rest were like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. (laughs) But for your stepdaughter to not come and say, I'm afraid with him being here or anything other than do I get a condolence cake? Yeah, yeah. And I'm not bashing your husband, and I know you're not either because this is hard for everybody. Oh, absolutely. And I give my husband a lot of credit. You know, he could have very easily had been resentful and hateful towards my son, and he never was. And I don't know if it's because my son and him kind of have a close relationship where my husband sees a lot of himself in my son, or if it's because my son left for four months and he saw how much that broke me. I don't know what it is, but for whatever it is, I'm very grateful that my husband was never resentful towards my son. He was never cruel or mean because he could have been. He could have been like, well, you touched my daughter. You, you, you hurt my daughter. You made my daughter feel this way. Right. He never did that. Not once did he do that. And I will always be grateful. Yes. And that also makes me think that he knew your son well enough to know that this wasn't a forced thing. Yes, I think so. You know, he does know, I mean, my son was, he could be mean. He could be a bully. Mm -hmm. They were mean to each other, but my son took it to another level sometimes. And it was mostly with words. I mean, it wasn't always physical. Sometimes he would, he would push her, try and trip her. And she, she would push back or try and trip back. I mean, it was always their, their relationship was never great. Sibling rivalry. That's how I looked at it, but maybe I should have looked at it more so I should have looked at how it affected my stepdaughter more because I really feel like she wanted my son to love her and she wanted him to be like this protecting older brother kind of figure and she wanted to feel wanted and loved and I should have paid better attention to how when he would say something negative towards her or he would put her down, I should have paid better attention to how that made her feel. So when they started getting along and when their relationship turned inappropriate, she allowed it because it was better than him putting her down. It was, she wanted to be close to somebody. She wanted somebody to accept her, somebody to love her. And that wasn't the right way. And that could carry into relationships 
for her in the future. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, to where she thinks that when she goes out with a guy and they become boyfriend, girlfriend, that she needs to have sex with them or do sexual things to get them to love her. And I hope that this this situation has made her feel a little bit more empowered. In a good way. In a good way. A little bit more empowered to be able to say, yes, I want that or no, I don't want that. Because I don't really, I don't, I don't really know how everything started, how the inappropriate behavior between my son and my stepdaughter really started. I don't know if she had felt like she could say no to him. Mm-hmm. I feel like she would be able to say no now if something happened that she didn't want to happen. I'm not sure, but she never made my son feel like she didn't want the behavior to continue. Right. And they actually, they had conversations about their behavior because it went on for a little over a month and they would actually have conversations with each other. He's like, we talked about it all the time, you know, like, oh, we can't let anybody see us because that could ruin our family and that would really hurt mom and it would really hurt my stepdad. And and she would agree and, and they would say, okay, we're, we're not going to ever let this happen again. And one thing led to another and it would. So to me, that doesn't say abuse. You know, when you're able to have a conversation with somebody about about the behavior, that's that's not abusive. That's more mutual than abusive. Right. So they did. They had conversations about their behavior. And my son, he's the one who stopped the behavior. He's he's like, finally, I just felt ashamed. He's like, I, I knew that you were going to find us because I, I went downstairs to get them for dinner and I saw them both sitting on the bed and their hands were touching. And I was like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, her hands are really cold. I was like, okay. I was like, stepdaughter, go upstairs. It's time for dinner. And I remember closing the door and I asked my my son, I said, is there something going on that I need to know about? And he's like, no, no, mom, no, nothing at all. And that's when the behavior stopped because he was so afraid of getting caught. And she was not very happy that the behavior stopped. She she was upset that it had stopped. And that's what he had shared with me. And that's what he had shared with therapists and the investigators that she kept pushing for it to continue. And she would continue the flirtatious behavior. And and a lot of people noticed it. And I wish that I had, because maybe this wouldn't have happened if I had noticed it. But at one point, uh, we were having a barbecue and my sister came up to me and she said, "Uh, I think your stepdaughter has a has a crush on your son. And I was like, Oh, no, no, that you know, they're just acting more like siblings now. But, and that was after they had stopped the behavior that she was still trying to flirt with him, still trying to engage with him. And he kept pushing her away. And I had even said to him, I said, you need to be nicer to your stepsister. You really need to be nice to her. I was again, pushing a relationship before they were ready to have one. Mm-hmm. And that's probably my biggest regret in my blend is trying to force bonds before that they were ready to be made. Right. Now, so the behavior had stopped, Mm -hmm. but stepdaughter was still being flirty because she wasn't happy that the behavior had stopped. Correct. What made this come out in the open? They had gotten into an argument the night before she had a Zoom call with her therapist. So she was venting to her therapist, you know, oh, stepbrother did this and then he did this and he's so mean. And she kind of prodded a little bit. Has anything ever inappropriate happened between you two? Has he ever hurt you in any way? Has he? And she's like, well, now that you mention it, he did. Mm-hmm. And that's how she she shared what happened between the two of them. And 
I remember my son had said to me, he's like, I wish that I had told first. He's like, I wish that I had told first. He's like, because I wouldn't have had to leave for four months. I wouldn't have. He felt like he was going to lose everything. I mean, he did lose everything. He was afraid he was never going to get to see his stepbrothers again. He was never going to get to have a relationship with his stepdad again. He was afraid that we were going to lose our home, that, that he caused me to have a divorce. He thought he had all this on his shoulders for, for months and months and still sometimes does because my relationship with my husband is now strained. My relationship with my stepdaughter is strained and he blames himself. And he's like, I am so sorry. And he has become such a much more conscientious person, a much more empathetic person, because he realizes that his choices have dire consequences and you can't take them back. Right. Now, I know that your husband was awesome with not being mean to your son afterwards or not treating him really differently, but your son also owned up to the fact of it. He did. He took full accountability for his behavior. Absolutely. 100%. Do you feel like if stepdaughter did take accountability for her actions, you would be able to let this, I don't want to say let it go, but heal from it and begin to rebuild your relationship with her easier? I think so. I think it would be a lot easier because I know what she thinks and knowing what she thinks upsets me and it triggers me. And whenever she rolls her eyes at what I, at, if my son makes a comment to somebody else, whenever she sighs or rolls her eyes or says something nasty about my son to one of his siblings, it triggers me to have those feelings all over again. And, and she has done that in the past more so than recently. She would try to taint my son's siblings against him. Like she would try to taint their relationship Mm -hmm. and, and it was really hard to watch. And I had to tell my husband, you have to set some serious boundaries and let them, let her know that they will be consequences. If she, she talks negatively about my son. And if my son talks negatively about her, there will be consequences. So I wrote up a contract. And I had both of the kids sign it and me and my husband sign it that has boundaries and set consequences for those boundaries if they're breached. Mm -hmm. So you brought up something that made me think of something else. When you were hurt by your relationship ending with your ex, you reacted in a hurt fashion. Hurt people hurt people. Yes. So stepdaughter may still be hurt by your son ending things she she may well be yes i can't say one way or another because i'm not her but that's a possibility i know that she she wants to feel connected with people she she really i would say she she really craves physical attention mm-hmm. and i think it's because when she was little her parents weren't weren't very physically emotional with her they didn't hug her or kiss her or touch her in a loving way so she she really didn't get that stimulus that i think little children need they need to be hugged they need to be loved they need to be touched by their parents um even just sitting next to them on the couch or putting putting your hand on their arm when you walk by them it lets them Mm -hmm. know that they're connected to you and that, that you love them and that you're here for them and she didn't really get that And my husband sees that and he has been trying so much harder to have a physical relationship with his daughter and with his, with his sons now too. He hugs them more than I've ever seen him hug them before. And he tries to hug his daughter several times a day. And I hope that that 
will help kind of repair some of that trauma that she has suffered as a child. Right. And one other thing you mentioned was with your ex, you didn't want your kids to like the new wife or the girlfriend. Yeah, I did not. Your stepdaughter is doing the same thing. She's looking for alliances. Yes. And not liking your son. Absolutely. Because it makes us feel better when we have people that support us. Even in the Facebook groups, if you have somebody validate your inappropriate behavior, it makes you think it's okay. Yes. And I feel like she's upset with me because she feels like I chose my son and I chose my son's side over hers. And that's not what I was trying to do. I was trying to be there for both of the kids and be there for both of them emotionally. I could not give her what she had wanted. Yeah. She wanted you to get rid of your son. Yeah. I could not give her that. Right. And so she's 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 upset with me for that. And I, I understand she's hurt that she feels she feels betrayed. But mm-hmm. I could not abandon my son. And I did I did tell her that at one point. I, I had told her, you know, I love you. I I cherish you. I, I love our relationship. I was like, but I will not abandon my son. That is my son. And she's like, Well, are you gonna let him come home? Are you gonna let him come home? Or are you gonna move out? And I remember, you know, thinking like, we are not there yet. We cannot cross a bridge until we, until we approach that bridge. And she just wanted me to give her an answer so badly. And she kept hounding me and hounding me. Well, what are you going to do? Are you going to let him come back here? Are you, are you going to, are you going to leave? Are you going to, and I just, I remember my heart feeling so sad for this girl, but at the same time, I was just so upset. I was so hurt because I knew in my heart that my son did not abuse her, but the way she talked about him, she, she talked like he did physically force her. And, um, I remember when I really looked into what Nacho was because I had joined blended family support groups because of everything that I was going through. And I remember reading up on like people like, Oh, you need to Nacho. I'm like, Nacho. Like, what is that? And then people would be like, oh, not, you know, not your kid, not your problem. I was like, oh my gosh, never. I could never think that way. You know, these are all my kids and I'm super mom and super stepmom. And oh no, not my kid, not my problem. Oh no, I could never think that. And oh boy, did I change my thinking real fast when I took her to, I took her to her pediatrician, took her to an appointment to talk about going on an anxiety medicine. Because her anxiety, this poor thing, she would have panic attacks constantly, this poor thing. So I remember taking her to go on some anxiety medicine. And this was when my son was not living with me. And the doctor's like, well, have you, have you been under a lot of stress? And she's like, oh, yes. And she's like, well, can you talk to me about that? And she looked at me and I nodded, you know, yes, we're not going to hide things from the pediatrician. We don't hide things from anybody. We're, we're truthful people. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, my stepbrother got rapey with me. <sighs> And she used that word rapey and the pediatrician was like, what? And I was like, well, can you define rapey? You know? And, and I was, I was like, did he ever take off his clothes? Oh no, no. He always had his, you know, clothes on some, you know, well, did he force you to take off your clothes? And she's like, oh no, 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 no. He never forced me. You know? Well, did he hold you down? Oh no, no. He didn't hold me. I was like, did he penetrate you? She's like, no, 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 no. Gross. Ew. Never. I was like, well, did he ask you to touch him? And she's like, oh, no, gross. Oh, never. I'm like, well, why would you use the word rapey? And she's like, well, you weren't there. You don't know anything. He got rapey with me. That therapist. Mm-hmm. And so that's at, at that moment, I knew, okay, I need to look better into Nacho. Mm-hmm. I need to figure out 
what that really means. And I dove in head first. I was like listening to all the podcasts. I was like going to join the academy. I was like, I have to figure something out because I can never take this child to a pediatrician again. I have got to set some serious boundaries mm-hmm. because that was inappropriate Yes, for me to have to deal with. And I was angry that I was put in that situation. Oh, yeah. And then I was angry that I was put into all the situations. I was angry that, you know, their bio mom wasn't involved in their lives. I was angry that she only wanted to involve herself when it caused conflict. I was angry that my husband didn't step up more and be the parent that I knew he could be. I was angry that all of it fell on me constantly for all six kids. And I was overwhelmed with anger. Mm-hmm. I couldn't feel any other emotion and it destroyed me and it destroyed my marriage to the point that I thought that's it. There's no coming back from this. Mm-hmm. And luckily with Nacho, I started separating a lot of that and trying to set boundaries and trying to realize like where I had made the mistakes too. It's not all on my husband. It's on me. Because I said, ooh, pick me, pick me, (laughs) when I I should have said, okay, I can do this, but not that. And I never did that. Even if I felt it or even if I wanted to say it, I never did. I just took it all on because I thought that that was the appropriate thing to do. Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, if I married this man, that means that I'm now the mom too. Right. Well, you have been through a lot. And I have a little questionnaire that I send out to people that are going to be guests on the podcast. And I want to share something that you said about what's the best advice you had received about blending. And you said, my therapist asked me to reflect and recall all the reasons why I married my husband. And if those reasons still apply, then fight for our future happiness. Yes. I love that. I was glad that she had given me that advice. Yes. Because I, I went home and I did exactly that. Why did I pick him? Why did I marry him? Mm -hmm. And I wrote it and then I put it aside and then I read what I wrote and I reflected and I was like, yes, all of those things are still true. I have to stay in this. Cannot live with one foot out the door anymore. Right. I can't live just expecting to get a divorce Mm -hmm. because that's what I was doing. I was just biding my time until everything fell apart to the very end and I don't want it to fall apart. And how long ago did this happen or that you found out about it? Um, So last June. Okay. So you're still within a year that this happened. Yes. You're still dealing with a teenage girl that has very high emotions. Yes. I say this a lot, but cut yourself some slack. It's going to take time for you to heal. And it may be five years, 10 years down the road before she realizes uh, you know, I kind of did have a hand in what happened. But my question for you is, can you get her another therapist? Um, you know, I've talked to my husband a lot about that. And um, even the investigators, the DCF investigators were like, this therapist needs to be replaced. She even had, when she when they decided to close the case, she had called me personally and said, I'm going to close the case, but I want to let you know that I think it's going to be reopened because there's so much resentment, not just from your stepdaughter, but from the therapist as well. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so inappropriate on so many levels. Like this is not professional at all. And I have told my husband this many times, but it's not up to me. And that's what I had to realize through Nacho. 
it's not up to me to find her another therapist. Right. It really has to come from dad because if I'm the one who's taking away her therapist, you know, that's putting a target back on me. And I'm trying to remove the targets from me, desperately trying to remove the targets from me. And so it really has to come from him. He has to step up and get her a different therapist. I'm so proud of you because that was kind of a trick question when I asked you that. Oh, you tried to trick me? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. I passed. Yay. (laughs) Yes, you did. Yes, you did. Because when I said it, right after I said it, I'm like, dad needs to find the therapist. But dad needs to want to. And dad has to have that initiative. Yes. And you're right. It's out of your hands. It is. And he he sees he he sees how much his daughter has has been hurting and he has so much guilt i mean gps is a real thing and he feels so sorry that he wasn't there to protect her when she was little and that he didn't know to hug her and to kiss her when she was little and that he didn't know that all of that would cause lasting trauma and he couldn't take it back and so because he's just so flooded with all of that guilt i think that kind of inhibits him from being the parent that he really wants to be. He's trying. Yeah. And I'm proud of him for trying. And it's it's hard, especially if he's not a he's not done this his entire life and then all of a sudden it's I need to give my kids a hug. Yeah. It's not natural. It's he's having to think about it. Yes. But I don't know if you listened to our month of men, but we had two guys on there that talked about the importance of hugs. Yes, I did. I I love those podcasts. Yes. And I never thought about it, but I do make a point to hug my son every day and tell him I love him probably a hundred times a day. But I don't remember my mom being that way. And my dad's not really a huggy person. So I don't know if I'm trying to break the barrier with them or whatever, because when my mom's passed away, but with my dad, every time I see my dad, I've always hugged him. And I'm a daddy's girl. So when I was little, if my mom would threaten to spank me, I'd run, go get in the chair with my daddy and be like, (laughs) the mean mommy's after me, the mean mommy's after me. And, And he would protect me. But like you said, even just a pat on the back. Or uh, I'm proud of you Yeah, goes a long way. It means everything to them. And I've always been extremely affectionate with my children, even my son, who's now 16, you know, and he's six feet tall and he's towers over me. I, he still comes up to me and hugs me several times a day and not ashamed to say, I love you, mom, in front of his friends or to show affection. I still snuggle with all three of my children. I'm very snuggly with them and they're very snuggly with me. And I know that my stepdaughter sees that and it hurts her. Right. And she has even shared that with me before everything came to light. She had shared with me how how jealous she was that she sees that with me and my children and that she didn't have that. And that's hard. It is hard. And I really do feel like that is what really initiated this behavior between her and my son. I feel like with my son, it was more like he was a 14 year old boy and he was curious and there was a girl letting, letting him touch her. Mm -hmm. And it was purely like, Ooh, 14 year old boy thoughts. But for her, it was different for her. It was, she needed, she needed to feel that connection. And, and I, I try to remember that whenever I start feeling that resentment again, or I get triggered to feel that again. I try to remember that for her, it comes from this broken place and she's just a little girl. Right. And her responses are being influenced by this therapist. Yes. It's called coaching. Yes. And it 
and it's real and it really is very very traumatizing and it's it's out there there if you look it up coaching from therapists and I try to be very careful to never inject feelings into my kids and to let their feelings come out naturally because I'm so afraid that I'm going to place a feeling into them that that's not necessarily there and can cause real real harm for them like when they come home from their dads I, I don't immediately go like oh did you have fun with your dad did he did he spend time with you this time mm-hmm. never say that because then they automatically have to feel like they have to come up with a response right um, that might not be genuine for them so I try to be very vague and go oh I'm so happy that you're home right how was your time with dad and I'd always try to leave it open-ended for them to share with me and my stepdaughter's therapist is coaching her and she's injecting all of these feelings that might not be genuine right you know and that and it's very detrimental and has caused lasting trauma because when you feel like you're a victim and you identify as a victim You'll always be one. Yes. Well, I really hope your husband sounds awesome. So I really hope that he tries to find her a different therapist, not only because how this therapist is coaching her, but your daughter needs to be told and to understand that her value, now I'm kind of talking to you too here, girl, (laughs) is above what she's feeling and her value is not based on some little boy giving her physical attention. Yes. And something else I want to say to you, because I know we need to wrap up is you were talking about hugging your kids and cuddling with your kids and things like that. Yes. Girl, look at that value. They wouldn't be piled up on the couch with somebody that had no value. I know. You are valued. I try to remember that sometimes, but that's a it's a hard one for me. Well, we're going to talk more and we're going to make you some sticky notes and you're going to put them in your house <laughs> because you, you know what else I'm thinking? My, my affirmation stickers. <laughs> yes. What else I'm thinking is that little girl needs the same thing. She does. And I want that for her. Yes. You can help her with that. That can be your bond. I want to. I want to so, so badly. I want to be able to move past this and try to establish some of the relationship that we had in the beginning because it was, it was, it was great. She's, she's so awesome. She, she loves to read and she's so smart and she's so artistic. And, and I want to see that in her again. I don't want to just see this person who tried to hurt the relationship that I had with my son and hurt the relationship that I had with my husband, you know, because because it was coming from a place of hurt too for her. Right. And I tried to put that into perspective and I'm always kind to her and I'm always respectful. And whenever she says something to me, I'm always, you know, very receptive. I'm always like, oh, sure. I'd love to see what you're working on and absolutely show me. I try to always be receptive of everything that she wants to share with me. Well, allow yourself time to heal. Allow yourself time to grieve for the relationship that you do feel like you've lost with her, but don't give up hope on the relationship you can still have with her. Because I truly feel that if she can get to a therapist that will not help her play victim, and I'm not saying the therapist needs to say, this was your fault, little girl, because that's not what the case is. No. Yeah. But if she could get to a different therapist that's not pumping this crap in her head, then she could evolve more to where she wouldn't look at you the same with all this. Yeah, it does. It makes me sad that to know that she probably sees me as someone who didn't pick her. And that just adds to that hurt for her, someone else that didn't pick her. And 
That's not true. No, it's not. And you're going to be able to have this conversation with her later. I hope so. Not right now, because she's still, honey, 14, you couldn't have told me anything. (laughs) Yeah. It may be five years from now when she's in a relationship with somebody, or it may be 10 years from now when she has a kid of her own. But you're going to be able to have even a better bond with her, I truly believe, because of y'all going through this. I hope so. I really do. I know that's what I want, and I know it's what my husband wants, and and I just, it hurts him. It hurts him to see us struggle so much in our relationship, and I can't even imagine if that were him and my son, how I would feel if he felt that rift with my son that he feels like I have with his daughter. But the difference is you're hurting, but you're not hateful to her. I'm not. When she walks in the room, you're not like, or you're not cooking supper for everybody but her. Oh, no, I would never. Right. You're not treating her really differently. You're trying to overcome something that happened. I am. You got this, girl. I hope so. (laughs) Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. And I do want to make a note that I'd like to have you back on maybe this time next year to see how things have progressed because I know that things are going to get better. I have no doubt. I would like that. Well, thank you again. And you have a great day. You too, Lori. I hope that the chirping wasn't too distracting. I'm not sure what to do about the chirping. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be fine. You'll find it in about an hour. You'll be like, what? I know I hear that noise now. I know I'm going to be searching the house for it now. I'm going to be like, all right. When my husband gets home, I'm like, there was chirping in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Lord. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I really appreciate Jane taking the time to talk to us about her struggles. This is not something that is completely abnormal in blended families. And it breaks my heart for her that she's struggling so much with everything that's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. I talked so much at the beginning, I'm just not going to say anything at the end. Oh, now you do that. Yep. And all the people at the beginning are like, oh my gosh, I wish he would have saved this for the end because I don't ever listen to the end. Okay. So all you that came to listen to the end, hey. Okay. Thank you for being here. Okay. All right. Okay. David, anything else you want to talk about? No. All right. Wrap it up. Well, I got to wrap it up. You wrap it up. I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Join us again next week as we have another exciting podcast. And I will talk less in the opener. Maybe. No promises. (laughs) Remember, for Lori and myself, life is good. When you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.